Okay. And so the series has been titled uh, Pray Then Like This. And this week uh, we're looking at uh, the posture of prayer. And so we've looked at, um, I forgot what it was, they all started with P, um, the purpose of prayer, the, the I can't remember now, um, too many P's now. Um, but today we're looking at the posture of prayer. That's what's most important. Um, so let me begin by asking you a question. Um, you can post it on the chat if you remember. You're more attentive than me. Uh, let me ask you the question. I'll start with a question. Uh, how often do you pray? Uh, when was the last time you prayed? When you pray, who do you pray to? Uh, who do you pray with? Uh, when do you pray? God. Thank you. Uh, what do you pray when you pray? Um, our prayers, uh, the frequency of the prayers, the content, um, the context of our prayers, uh, all of that reveals a lot about our understanding of who God is. It reveals our relationship with God. It reveals our posture uh, before God. Right? Our prayers actually reveal a lot about our faith. Right? If I could follow you or you could follow you know, the rest of the church plant you know, and just watch the way that we pray and watch the words that come out of our mouths, it will actually reveal a lot. Right? Albert Moeller, he says that when we pray, we convey our entire theological system. Our theology is never so clearly displayed before our own eyes and before the world as in our prayers. Right? So Albert Moeller is saying that it's when we pray that you can actually see people's theology and right? what they think about God or right? what they think about themselves and what they think about that relationship. It all shows up when we pray. Right? And one area where our theology or our understanding of God and how that relates to God really shines through is when we pray for ourselves. Right? So when you pray for yourself, what do you tend to pray for? Right? That kind of says a lot about you know, your understanding of what God's word says about him and you. Now, I don't want us to be self-conscious about this, but I just want to think a little bit today about, you know, what we pray when we pray about ourselves and maybe challenge us to align our prayers to be more like what Jesus tells us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Right, so when we come to those three petitions that are about ourselves in the Lord's Prayer, that's what we're looking at today. It's quite challenging, uh, not just uh, what he says we're meant to pray and maybe by implication what we're not meant to pray, uh, but really the dynamic in our relationship between God. Right? I think that's what's most challenging, that posture we're meant to have as we come to God in prayer. So we're going to look at that today. The first is I want to look at the petitions. We'll go through the three petitions and then we'll look at our posture. So number one, our petitions when we pray. And when I say our petitions, I mean the ones that are about us. And it starts with uh, provision. There's three. The first one is provision. Uh, Jesus says, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what we're being invited to here uh, is to pray for provision, the provision for kind of all of our physical and material needs. And this shouldn't be specifically limited to just bread, right? It's not that Jesus is saying you have to come before God and say, give me my bread. Um, and it's not even limited to just food. I think you can expand this to encompass every physical and material need. Now, for the Israelites, bread was their staple food. Um, I hope hopefully this isn't racist, but you know, it's kind of like how rice is staple food for Asians. That's not racist, right? Um, and so it was, they're the core food. It was just what they always ate. And so bread was really symbolic of their physical needs, right? Without bread, they would die, right? They needed uh, this bread. And so when, when Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the bread of life, uh, that was purposeful. He's taking this very core 
essential part of you know their their life and he's saying i'm just as important i'm just as core and essential right so when you say bread it's not just thinking about a loaf of bread it's not even food it's really a conveying something that's core and essential to survive and when you think about even our english language we use the word bread in a similar way right we use the word bread to symbolically mean much more than just food or when we use the phrase breadwinner right so and so is a breadwinner what do we mean we mean that person brings home the bread but we don't mean they just bring home a loaf of bread we don't just mean they bring home food but we understand breadwinner to mean they bring home the physical and material needs for the home right their job their money is able to pay the rent pay the clothing you know all of that stuff they're able to take care of the material and physical needs and so when jesus invites us pray then like this give us our daily bread is inviting us to come to god and ask god for our physical and material needs right there's other passages where jesus talks about this matthew 6 25 34 the next chapter don't be anxious about life or the food or bod or your body you're more valuable than the birds and god feeds them you're more precious than the lilies and god clothes them right all of your physical needs god will take care of and so when we come before god and we're praying this we're asking for provision right god would you give me my food would you supply the money i need to pay the rent uh clothing pens the necessities to go to work or study the things i need to live and survive in sydney now one of the questions that will come up is well how much can i pray for then uh, can i pray for more than just bread can i pray for you know not just a job but a better job a promotion not just a house but a bigger house etc right what's where's the limit in our prayers and um i want to kind of come back to this later um when i get to the posture right i want to say that that's maybe not the the main focus but you should maybe focus more on your posture that's more important All right but let me move on number 2 after asking for provision we ask for pardon right give us this day, day our daily bread <clears throat> and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors there's two parts to this pardon and the first is the pardon uh we receive from god right forgive us our debts sin is described in the bible in many sorts of ways right we fall short uh, we break god's law we rebel we are dirty right? these are all different ways sin is conveyed and one of the ways it's conveyed is that we are in debt right we owe god for our sins kind of like you are indebted to maybe the bank or you borrowed money from someone you have a debt that you have to pay off The problem is we have a debt we cannot repay and so we need God to say don't worry about it. Right? I'm going to let that debt go. And so using this language, Jesus is inviting us to come to God and ask for forgiveness for our sin. Now it's important to think about this, who is meant to pray this prayer of forgiveness for sin? Uh this model of prayer, this pattern of prayer of the Lord's prayer uh, was given to the believers. Right? Luke 11:1, it was a disciple who asked Jesus, teach us to pray. and it's a believer who's able to come to God and call him heavenly father. And so the implication is that Jesus is saying coming to God in repentance and asking for forgiveness of sins is not just something you do at conversion. You're meant to do that continually through your life as a Christian. Christian, come to the father and repent of your sins and ask for forgiveness. But there's two mistakes we kind of make in 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 this topic and one is uh we say well i've already been forgiven i i i came to god a long time ago when i got saved i asked for forgiveness he forgave me so i don't ever need to come back and say sorry right and clearly jesus is disagreeing here he's telling us to come back 
The second mistake is on the other side. The second mistake is to say, well, since I'm meant to keep coming back to God and asking for forgiveness, that must mean I'm being saved over and over again. It's like my plate is dirty. Uh, God cleans it. And then I dirty it again with my sin. And I've got to keep coming back and I need to be forgiven and saved over and over again. Um, but that is not what the Bible says as well. And so the way that we understand this repeated forgiveness that we come to God in is, and I love the way J.I. Packer explains it. He says it's a difference between coming to God as judge versus coming to God as father. Right At the point of conversion, we come to God as judge. We are in judgment. Right? We are children of wrath. We are still uh, in sin and our sins are not yet accounted for. And at that point, we're coming to God and asking for forgiveness from the judge saying, you know, don't count our sins against us. You know, would you love us? Would you, would you reconcile us back to you? Would you adopt us into your family? Right? That's the kind of forgiveness we pray at conversion. But after that, and every time after that, we are coming to God, not as judge, but as father. Right? And it's a totally different thing when you think that you're coming to the father and saying sorry. Right? As Christians, we come to God as Father, not, not afraid that He judge us, but we are confident He won't judge us. Right? We come to God knowing we are loved, not trying to make Him love us. Right? So we have that different dynamic in our relationship. Right? Just like a child who has broken the law of the Father or you know, hurt the Father, the child will come to the Father because he loves the Father and say sorry. Right? And that's the kind of way that we're coming back to God when we repeatedly ask for forgiveness. Right? Even if we don't repent, we're still going to go to heaven. But it's not about that. It's because we care about that relationship. We're coming back and saying sorry. And so in this way, Jesus is inviting Christians to frequently, if not daily, repent and seek forgiveness for our sins. Right? Not because it saves us, but because we are already saved and we love our Heavenly Father. Right? The second part to this is not just our pardon we receive from God, but now it's the pardon we give to other people. Right? So the second part of verse 12, it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that second phrase is, is kind of interesting. I was actually tempted to skip it, but it's, it's in the Lord's Prayer. It's like a can of worms, basically. And now that I've opened it up, it's going to take a bit of time. But I'm going to skim over it quite um, quickly. But it's interesting because number one, this is the... Um, only part in the Lord's Prayer uh, where we are telling God what we've done. Every other part of the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God to do something. God, would you do this? Only here we're saying, God, I've done this, right? I've forgiven people. It's also important because later on in verse 14 to 15, right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus comes back to this and he talks about it, right? And it's a little controversial. It sounds like we're doing something to be saved. Um, but just for brevity of time, I want to jump to the conclusion. So if you've got confusions about this, ask your growth group leader. Um, ask them the hard questions. I'm just joking. Uh, ask Peter and Daniel. Um, I'm not joking. Um, but I'm just going to jump to the conclusion. The conclusion is our ability to give grace is proof that we've already received grace. Right? Our ability to forgive is proof we already have been forgiven. Right? It's not that if, if I forgive, God will forgive me. But... If I forgive, it's showing that the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart to transform me, right? So our forgiveness of others, it doesn't earn my salvation. It proves my salvation. A person who consistently over time refuses to forgive others will not be forgiven by God on judgment day because, right, they are showing 
that the Spirit isn't at work in their lives. They're showing that they weren't saved to begin with, right? And if you want to read a parable that is exactly this point kind of unpacked, read Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's an amazing parable. I had a whole page uh, about it, um, but I cut it out for length of time. But just go read Matthew 18. Um, ask Peter and Daniel your hard questions. And so when we pray this, uh, we are coming to God and we're asking um, pardon, right? Pardon for our sins. And we're saying we have given pardon or forgiveness to other people. Uh, what's most important about this is not just to pray this prayer, not just to tick a box, uh, but to really become a person who cares enough about our sins that we will daily come to God and say, I'm sorry. But that's what's really at the heart of this, that we would be Christians who are, feel the weight of sin, uh, to not treat grace as cheap, to treat sin so seriously that we mourn about our sins, that we will come before God and repent of the failures uh, that we have committed. Right? This is really at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. And that's probably the greatest challenge of forgive us our sins, right? that we would actually care enough to pray it. Right? But maybe before we even pray it, the challenge is that you would forgive someone else. Right? Jesus says in the chapter before the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 5, that if you're coming to God with an offering, but then remember, you remember someone has something against you, drop your offering and try to reconcile with that person. And so maybe even before you pray this prayer, the challenge comes that you need to do something before that, right? that you need to forgive someone else. And, and you know, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe there's someone in the planet that you need to forgive. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've, you've held on to bitterness. You know, that's something you want to deal with because um, because the, the language is quite strong in verse 14 to 15 about that correlation between forgiving others and God forgiving us. God's our father, so we say sorry because we love him. Uh, but in the family of God, God wants a harmonious family. And so we forgive our brothers and sisters, right, our neighbors, uh, so that this family is harmonious. Right, so we're praying for provision, pardon, and the third is we're praying for protection. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right, we've asked God to provide for our physical material needs. We've asked for him to pardon our past sins. And this prayer is protection from future sins. Right? Protect me from stumbling into any future sin. So lead me away from temptation. And even when I find myself in the midst of temptation, deliver me from right, the evil one. Right? I just want to say four quick things about this. Number one, there is daily temptation. Contrary to how we might often think or feel, you know, when we wake up, uh, the truth is that the world is a dangerous place for a Christian. There's a daily battle raging on, whether we think about it or see it or not. Uh, it's happening all the time around us. And the fact that Jesus includes this in the prayer is evidence that there is a battle and there is temptation around us. There's temptation from within us. There's temptation from outside of us. And we're meant to fight the good fight of faith daily against this temptation. Right? We need to be aware of that. The second point is that the devil is real. Even though the English translation and the ESV says, uh, deliver us from evil, uh, the Greek word used makes it quite clear that it's deliver us from the evil one. And so the world is dangerous, not just because sin exists as some kind of vague thing that's corrupted everything, that's true, but also Satan exists. There's an actual being out there, him and his minions of demons that are proactively trying to make Christians 
fall into temptation, right? The devil is real. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he says, we tend to fall into one of two extremes. One is to say the devil and demons don't exist, right? We disbelieve and therefore we become, he says, a materialist. Or the other side is that we believe everything is a devil and we become magicians, right? Materialist or magician, he says. And they're both extremes that are not healthy. We don't want to never think about the devil. Neither do we always want to think about the devil and say, oh, that's the devil, that's the devil. We want to find like a a healthy middle ground. We don't want to be consumed by this because our focus isn't the devil. It's on Jesus who has won the victory. But we must acknowledge there's a battle. We must acknowledge that there's always temptation and the devil trying to make us fall. Uh, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The good news is he's not on equal footing with God. But the good news is even when we fail, we can pray the petition that came before this one. We pray for pardon and he will forgive us. Number three, Christians hate sin. Right, so not only is the world dangerous, not only is the devil real, uh, but Christians have to hate sin or else you know, we'll just go follow temptation. But Christians are expected to be disgusted, really, uh, by the thought of falling into sin today or tomorrow. That's what we're praying this prayer. God, I, I hate sin so much. Don't lead me into it. Make sure I don't fall into it. Right? That's the heart of this prayer. And again, this is maybe the most challenging part of the, the pardon and protection sin that we would care enough about sin. Number four, uh, we are weak. Despite the world being dangerous, despite the devil being real and our hatred of sin, we pray this prayer also because at the end of all of that, we know we're too weak to fight temptation on our own. We cannot overcome the things that come to us. We need the strength of God. And maybe over time, you've realized how weak you are, how often your heart wanders from God. And so you're coming before God and you're saying, God, you know, I hate sin, but I know that I fall into it too easily. Holy Spirit, strengthen me, deliver me. So we need God to lead and we need God to deliver. Lead me away from temptation because I know how weak I am. But even when I find myself in the midst of it, make sure I'm not um, falling into the hands of the evil one. Deliver me from turning away from you. Kind of like how Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus said to Peter, you know, the devil asked that he would sift all of you as wheat, but I prayed for you, he says, right? I prayed for you, right? And so Peter's faith is kept strong because of that prayer. It's dangerous for any of us here to think that there's no daily temptation. It's dangerous for us to think that the devil's not real. It's dangerous for us to not hate sin. It's dangerous for us to think we are strong enough to fight it on our own. And so all of that makes us pray this prayer. And so the three personal petitions were provision for our physical material needs, pardon for our past sins, and we've forgiven others as well, and protection for my future sins, temptations, and from the devil. Now, when I look at these three petitions, um, it, it, it conveys to me two things about our posture. And I'm just going to talk about that and we'll close. You know, there are two players in prayer, right? It's a, it's a bit more, more than that. But the two main players in prayer is you and God. And the dynamic between those two players is not one where you are on equal footing. It's definitely not one where you are above God, commanding God and telling him to do what you want. Um, Clearly in the Lord's prayer, 
the dynamic is one where God is up there and you and I were down here, right? The Lord's prayer shows us that we are less than God. And so that leads us to a posture that is one, dependent, and number two, deferential to God, right? We defer all things to God. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly, by the way, so you can email me later. Right, number one, posture of dependence. When you think about the three personal petitions, they are requests for God to give us our most basic, our most kind of minimal, rudimentary needs. Right, we're asking God to provide the basic and minimal physical needs, that's the bread, and our most basic and minimal spiritual needs, that's the pardon and protection. Uh, without bread, uh, without like rice or whatever, and all it symbolizes, we can't physically live. We're going to die. That's why I'm saying, God, just give me that, that most basic thing so I will physically live. And when you think about pardon, we cannot spiritually live without the forgiveness of our sins and then God protecting us from the devil. And so in both of these uh, prayers, what we're asking is, 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 is very small. Like, like it's very like, I try to find the word for this, but it's like really foundational, right? And this implies at least two things. Number one, not only is, the, is God the one who can and must supply these things, but number two, we can't supply it for ourselves, right? We are utterly dependent on God for kind of every basic need in our lives. That's what the Lord's Prayer is trying to tell us. You as a Christian, you should acknowledge that you need God desperately. That's the posture of the Lord's Prayer, even for the most basic of things, even for bread, right? Even, even to spiritually come alive, right? We need God. That's the posture that we're invited to pray in, right? Daily bread. I, I, I skipped this word, but there's the word daily in the bread. It's not monthly bread. It's not weekly bread. It's daily bread. And that's significant. In the book of Exodus, uh, God brings Israel out of Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. And God tells them that they, he will rain bread from heaven for them. Right? You probably know this manna from heaven kind of falls from the sky, appears out of nowhere. And interestingly, God gives them a very specific command. And the command is gather a day's portion every day. Right? Except on the sixth day, collect two days worth and you'll eat that over two days. Why does God tell them to only gather one day's worth? Wouldn't it be easier for God to say, you know, collect a whole month's worth and store it up. And so then I don't have to keep sending it and you don't have to keep collecting it. Wouldn't that be easy? That's easier. But the reason why he doesn't do that is because he wants to teach them to trust God every single day. Right? Because if God supplied them or God supplies us a month worth of bread, then we would depend on the pantry rather than the provider. Right? And, and so what Jesus is trying to teach us when he says, come to God daily for your bread, he's trying to say, you know, Israelites, Christians, you need to understand that you are meant to be dependent on God completely and consistently every day. Don't trust in your bank account. Don't trust in your pantry, your freezer, your fridge. You are meant to trust in God. That's the posture. Again, dependence on God. That's what we need to learn. You know, we are made to be like that. Um, but the truth is for us, we live in an affluent country and we often don't trust God like we should. Right? This is a really challenging prayer for us because like if I'm honest with myself, I, I don't really pray, give me my daily bread 
like Jesus invites me to. Right? I rather trust in what I've already stored up for myself. Rather than fully placing my trust in God, I'm trusting these other things. And really, I'm trusting myself. This is self-idolatry. Right? This is pride. When we're not dependent on God fully, uh, we are depending on ourselves. Uh, it's pride. It's, it's what then leads to things like Satan falling or Adam and Eve saying, we don't need you, God. You know, we're going to figure it out on ourselves. Right? The biggest challenge maybe for us is to be able to confess, I need you daily. Um, you know, if COVID-19 should teach us anything, it's that we're not God. Despite all the control and security, you know, we thought we had ensured for ourselves, it can be taken away any moment. Right? Things that felt so certain, are not certain. And we should really, uh, if anything, learn this lesson now. Right? We need to understand we're dependent on God. Right? Job, finances, daily routine, everything's changed health, being able to meet people. What do you normally do on a Sunday? You know, I, I was so sure that by this time, you know, when back in February, when I looked to August right now, I was so sure in a couple of weeks we'd be launching, right? But everything's changed. Like you look at your life, there's no part of your life, there's no part of the world that hasn't been touched just like that. And how uh, clear is it that we are not masters of our own destiny? But how clear is it that we are not God? But we need to understand that only God is God and we are dependent on him. You know, when I think about Christians I've met like in places like Thailand who've literally prayed this prayer. They've literally prayed, give me my daily bread because they don't know where their bread's going to come from tomorrow. You know, they, they didn't have less than me. Right? Even though my fridge is full, they didn't have less than me. I feel like they have more than me. They seem to know God more closely than I do. And I think it's because they've clung on to God daily. They're like they've actually come to God and said, God, I need you today. Right? And not only have they clung to him, but they've seen him show up and provide. And I think that's what we're missing out often when we don't depend on God daily. And so the challenge is to you the next time you eat your meal to not just recite a prayer that you've memorized, but to really pause and think about you know, where your food is coming from and say, God, I need you. The second thing, and this, this will be quicker. It's a posture of deference, right? I exalt you. If dependence is I need you, deference is I exalt you. That's our posture when we come before God. As I mentioned, our three personal petitions, they're very basic, very minimal. Jesus doesn't say, give us this day our buttered lobster or our aged wagyu steak of over three years or whatever it is. But we're praying for necessities, not luxuries. Our prayers for ourselves are basic, they're not exalting. They're not grand. But when we come to God, I said this in the first sermon, they are grand. Hallow your name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. What, what pleases you, but for me, it's just spread and forgive my sins and then protect me, right? It, it, that dynamic is our, we're praying for our minimal needs and God's maximum glory. We're, we're praying for our minimum and God's maximum. That's the posture. But when we come before God, it's the posture of the Christian life, right? My purpose is funneling for God, right? I defer all attention, all fame, all pleasure ultimately to you. And it's not that I can't have joy, but you know, my life, it's being poured out to him. And when you think about it, the Lord's prayer is kind of like, God, my life is about you, but in order for me to live for you, I need bread. I need forgiveness of sin. So just give me the things I need so that I can then turn and give it all back to you. 
But that, that's really the posture of the Lord's Prayer. And our goal, again, is not to be Christians that don't just pray this, uh, but live this and be this and, and care about this, right? that we embed this in our hearts. Right? So the question, again, uh, that I asked was, can we pray for more than the minimum? Can we pray for not just a job, but a better job? Or can we not just pray for bread, but can we pray for lobster? Um, and I think what's more important than what we pray, what's more important is how we pray. Because I think how we pray will end up shaping what you pray anyway. Uh, I don't know if I could answer, is this an okay thing to pray for? Like if you said, is this an okay? I don't know if I could pray, if I could answer that, but I can answer this, right? What kind of posture should I pray in? And that's clear. A posture that is lowly, humble, and defer deferring all glory and purpose and pleasure to God. That's the posture we should pray in. And again, that will then shape what you end up praying for. You know, when you think about praying for a new job, a promotion, more opportunities, you know, maybe a bigger house, these things are not wrong in and of themselves. But when you get into a posture that is thinking about God's glory, God's kingdom, God's will, um, it shapes the way you think. Uh, is, does your new job, promotion, better opportunity, bigger house, give you a better platform to be salt and light? Does it help you to be more evangelistic? Uh, does it help you exercise your gifts that God has given to you and therefore lead to his glory? Does it help you bless others? Right? They're the kind of, sort of things we're thinking about if we have the right posture when we come to pray about those kinds of things. You know, if you use the Lord's Prayer as your pattern, if you start with God in those first three petitions, when you end on yourself, when you get to praying about yourself, the fact that you've prayed about God changes what you pray for yourself. Because you've already reoriented your life, you've already found your posture to be lowly, that when you come to yourself, you realize a lot of things I was going to pray for, they're actually not that important. They're not priority. And they're actually about me and not God, right? My kingdom, my fame, my will. Right? And then your prayers begin to change. But if I started my prayers with me, I'd ask God for the lottery. Right? But if we start our prayers about God, we will end up asking for bread. Right? I think that's how the Lord's Prayer works. And so the final exhortation is this. Um, like I shared, our petitions and our posture. Our petitions are for provision, pardon, protection. We should pray for these basic minimal needs, um, physical, spiritual, so we can live for the glory of God. Um, but I think most importantly is our posture. Our posture is totally dependent on God in prayer. And our posture is totally deferential to God. It defers all glory to God. I need you. I exalt you. Right? That's the posture of the Lord's Prayer. And so the two questions I want you guys to talk about if you want. Number one, do you tend to pray for provision, pardon, protection in your prayers? Uh, which ones come more naturally? Um, talk about that. Uh, would you say your posture before God is one of dependence? and deference, right? Do, do you find that you tend to pray that way? If, if you do, then, you know, that's good. Then you can say that you don't have to pretend that, you know, you don't, um, I don't know, like a false humility. Um, but, you know, let's talk about that and we'll see how we go.